Well, good evening, everybody. I have a provocative question to start with this evening. Okay, so deep breaths, prepare yourselves. My question is this, why are you here? Why are you here? Don't all answer me at once, all right? Why are you here? Why do you bother? Why bother with church? Why bother? Just think for a minute. Why do I bother? If you maybe were honest with yourself for a minute, and if you're anything like me, there have definitely been Sundays where you have genuinely contemplated that question. Why did I bother? And if you haven't yet, you probably will at some point. Ever wondered that you might have something better to do on a Sunday evening? I mean, don't get me wrong, you guys are great, but I probably have more in common with a few other people. Or anyone else thinking, geez, I hope these guys wrap up so I can get home in time for Sherlock. Yeah? Anyone else? Is that just me? Don't worry, I'll wrap up so we can all get home in time for Sherlock. Or Planet Earth or whatever you want to put on. Um, regardless, what I think of God is what I think of God. It's my own business. What does it have to do with anybody else? right? Why bother? Well, now I've made you all feel really awkward. (laughs) Let's dive right in. I think the reason that we bother with church is because Jesus does. It's because Jesus does. And quite honestly, I could have given up on church a hundred times over if it wasn't for Jesus. The thing about Jesus is that I I genuinely believe he's not very interested in a building. He's not very interested in an institution. He's not very interested in a hierarchy or an organization. What he's really interested in is people. And the people are the church. You sat where you are and the person right next to you. You are the church. And Jesus loves the church. And so last week, as we started this short mini-series on church, Thomas came and spoke to us um, how Jesus loves us and made us to love him back, that the church is a people who love Jesus. Don't forget your first love. And Thomas really challenged us that, and I thought this was just epically great, what we need far much more than a better, more improved version of ourselves for 2017 as we make all of those resolutions that we have just about managed to keep, but probably this week we'll mess up on, is actually a bigger vision of Jesus, a better sight of Jesus, more love for Jesus. That's what we need in 2017. That's what I'm praying for. God, would you grow my love for Jesus? So that's where we start this evening. But I do want to change tack just a little bit as we um, come into week two of this series. So if last week was about relationship, then I want to suggest to you that this week is all about responsibility. If last week was all about your love for Jesus, then this week is all about your life with Jesus. And if last week was about what church is, then this week I want to talk about what church does. What are we here for? Why do we bother? And specifically, what do we bother about? So, um, first suggestion, groundbreaking statement. The church is God's plan A for the world 
in 2017. And he ain't got another one. There's no plan B. The church is God's plan A for the world. And that means you. You sat right where you are and the person sat next to you. You loving Jesus with everything that you have. Speculating on his grace. You are God's plan A for this city. You. And um, before you think I'm completely making this up, turn with me to your Bibles so you can see that I'm not telling you massive fibs. And we're going to turn right at the very beginning to Acts 1. We're going to read the very beginnings of the church when Jesus started it. Um, So um, Acts is written by this guy called Luke. Luke's already written and published his previous uh, series, which was called, funnily enough, The Gospel of Luke. Uh, Because it's written by Luke. See what I did there. Um, And this is the next installment. So, for all you Sherlock fans out there, this is like the next series. And uh, he's writing this book of Acts to a guy called Theophilus, so that Theophilus and other people like him would have a reliable account of the beginnings of Christianity. And Luke is a doctor, um, so he likes to get his facts right. Do we have any other doctors or medical professionals or students in? the house this evening stick your hand up literally bereft nobody have a heart attack we'd be doomed oh maybe one a, a tentative yes okay you're filling me with confidence <laughs> thank you okay <laughs> great um so doctors like facts and the first fun fact from luke is this jesus is alive groundbreaking. He's been raised from the dead. God did it. The disciples have seen it. Job is a good one. So before we read the passage, we're going to dive right into just verse one, um, because the Greek scholars go absolutely nuts, crazy over this one verse. And I want you to understand why as we then read the rest of the passage together. So let's just read verse one, Acts one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You might be thinking, yeah, sounds pretty straightforward to me, Hannah. I don't know what you're going on about. But what Luke's doing here is he's actually summing up his previous book, so Luke's gospel. He's saying, this is what my previous one was all about. It's like the two-minute trailer you get at the beginning of Sherlock to really confuse you before you go into the next one, okay? Just in case you'd forgotten what it was all about. You hadn't remembered anyway. So, Luke's saying, it's all about what Jesus did and taught, right? No, (laughs) wrong. It hinges on that word, began. Began. It's all about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Implication, Jesus' work is not finished. That's the massive claim that Luke's making at the very beginning of Acts, the very beginning of the church. Jesus' work is not finished. Now, don't get me wrong, clearly, over here, there's this whole like cross, resurrection thing. That has definitely happened. That is finished. God's done it. He's won. But Luke's saying, actually, you guys, the church, you are the continuation of Jesus' ministry. You get to keep going with the things that his father gave him to do. 
It's not a kind of stop, start, exit, Jesus, stage left by verse 9 of chapter 1. Now it's the church's turn. You guys have a go. We call it the Acts of the Apostles, but actually it should be called the Acts of Jesus, part 2, brackets, the church gets to play, in brackets. It's great. So this evening, um, as we read the passage, which we really are about to do, believe me, we're getting there, um, I want you to hear the invitation of God afresh to you this evening. You get to play. It's like he invites you to be players on the stage of the Acts of Jesus part two, still showing at all good, bad, and in-between cities the world over. You get to play. Hear his invitation to you. And I really do mean you. Even you who's thinking everyone else but not me. You. He invites you in. So let's read um, Acts 1. I'm going to read through to verse 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's just take a minute to pray as we come around God's word this evening. Father, we thank you for this book, The Acts of Jesus Part 2 by Luke. We thank you, um, God, for Luke. We thank you for his heart to put down a reliable account. We thank you that he wanted to get the facts straight. And we pray that, God, this evening you would breathe through this passage of scripture and that you would re-enthuse us as to what it looks like to be the church in this city this year. Come, Holy Spirit, would you teach us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Let's start with that fact. Jesus is 
alive. Jesus is alive. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the resurrection is fairly startling news. It's massive. We have a church because a dead man walked, got up, ate breakfast, actually made breakfast and then ate breakfast, appeared to his disciples, verse 3, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus' resurrected body was the very beginning of God's new creation. The first body, get this, in which heaven and earth had come together in this most new and amazing and mysterious way. If I said to you the phrase, Bob the Builder, you would say back to me, Ah, well done. Can he fix it? And if I asked you the question, can he fix it? You would then say, yes, he can. You weren't expecting that digression, were you? No. I caught you by surprise. Well, I, I want to suggest to you that if you had to put a slogan on Jesus's resurrected body, it would be this. Can he fix it? Yes, he can. Can he fix it? Yes, he can. In Jesus' resurrected body, it's like God is announcing to the world, I can fix anything. I am making all things new, and it's through Jesus. It's in his resurrection that he is one. That means that he gets the last word about everything. Can he fix it? Yes, he can. He can. And so I want to encourage you this evening. We are a resurrection people. That's where we start. We start with a victory. Before we do anything, before we think anything, we start with a victory. We are resurrection people. And if we're resurrection people, we're also kingdom people. Verse 3, Jesus appeared to them. What did he talk about after he'd risen from the dead? The kingdom. The kingdom. Now, if I was Jesus... Uh, I was just thinking about this. I was thinking there's probably a few other things that I would have covered personally. Just if Jesus wants to take a few tips from me right now. Uh, I would have been like, guys, uh, disciples, huddle around. Come on. I've got just a few things to cover. Um, that garden incident when you all left me. Let's talk about that. Because quite clearly, I was just not good enough. You really let me down there. Or maybe... I would have been like, hey, is anyone up for that loaves and fishes gig again? That went down really well. Let's try that again. We've got 40 days. I mean, there's even enough time to turn some water into wine again. Anyone up for that? Uh, Okay. It's probably a good thing that I am not Jesus. Jesus talked about the kingdom. And the kingdom was like the total, central, pivotal theme of his whole ministry. That's what Jesus was about. That's what he is about. If you're not sure what I mean by the kingdom, I basically mean the place where God is king. Is that simple? The place where God is king, the place where his rule and his reign is, the place where things are as he would want them. And that that really wasn't a new concept for Jesus' early disciples because they lived with a heritage all the way through the Old Testament. If you've grown up around church, you'll know some of this. The Jews were challenged to represent the king and to extend his kingdom, to take responsibility out of their relationship with him, to extend his kingdom. 
Think about like Adam and Eve in the garden. What are they doing? They're taking responsibility for creation out of relationship with God. Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go, taking responsibility for God's people. Joseph and the famine, taking responsibility for the well-being of God's people. And this whole kingdom teaching sort of starts to take on this whole new dimension as the disciples realize it's through Jesus, it's through Jesus now that God is inbreaking his kingdom, that he's making all things new, that he's got a plan for the world. It's through Jesus. The place where God is king is through Jesus, except it's now also through Jesus, through them, and through Jesus through me, and through Jesus, through you, and the person next to you. Plan A, God hasn't got a plan B. Through Jesus, through you. Wow. The point I'm making is that the kingdom should be the primary outworking of a church that loves Jesus. The kingdom should be the primary outworking of a church that loves Jesus. It's what he is all about. I think we have a slide that actually says that, Peter, if you want to go on a few. So what does... um, what does a kingdom, what does that actually look like? Because you might be sitting here thinking, it's all very well and good, Hannah, but it all sounds a bit theoretical, a bit like big picture. Give me some kind of detail, put some flesh on the bones here. So let me tell you a few places where I've seen the kingdom recently that have really encouraged me. I, uh, I have a, a really wonderful friend called Anna. She's one of the most generous people I know. And uh, Anna, like many of us, looked out at the situation in Europe with all um, the refugees and displaced people fleeing their homes, thinking, if I come to Europe, I will be safe. And just seeing the utter awfulness on the news of families without access to sanitation, healthcare, education in Europe was literally horrendous. And she thought, there must be something that I can do. I must be able to make a difference. My father is not king here. The kingdom is not here. I've got a job to do. And so if it were not for her six-month-old baby, I think she probably would have been out there in a refugee camp like doing something. Um, But she couldn't because she had a six-month-old baby. So what she did was that she Facebooked a few of us and with her church, she's part of the church plant out in Oxgangs, she said, guys, I'm going to make up wash kits and send them out. And so now sitting in her baby's nursery, wall to wall, are 40 wash kits for refugees across um, camps in Europe. She's going to send them out. That's the kingdom that's the kingdom. It might sound really little, but that's, that's the kingdom. That's someone speculating on the kingdom. I want to tell you about my friend Izzy. She's um, one of the bravest people I know. Izzy King, some of you will know her. She studied medicine here in Edinburgh, and now she's out in Malawi. Basically the equivalent, serving an area, the equivalent of being um, one of only two doctors for the whole of Glasgow. That is ridiculous. That's the kingdom. The kingdom took her there. Is my dad king here? No, he's not. I've got a job to do. I'm going to go. That's the kingdom. I want to tell you about um, Tolcross Tots. 
which is a toddler group that meets across in the hall on a Monday morning. Loving parents in this neighbourhood. If any of you um, are parents, some of you are, you'll know that early parenting is one of the most relentless and most grafting jobs that you ever do. Um, Loving parents, cheering them on. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom right there. I could go on. My friend Margaret went debt-free last year through the ministry of CAP in this church. That's the kingdom. Every time someone goes debt-free, that's the kingdom. Is my dad king here? No, he's not. So we've got a job to do. Let's love that person. Let's serve them. That's the kingdom. Every time you students, when you... um, in the face of a student culture that laughs at the name of God, when you gather to pray and to worship, to sacrifice study time or me time or time with friends to actually say, no, I'm going to contend for the name of Jesus to be glorified in my university. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom right there. Is my dad king here? No, he's not. We've got a job to do. That's plan A. God is restoring his kingdom through Jesus, through us. Plan A. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah? Okay, I'll get excited for you. It's pretty exciting. (laughs) Okay, let's go back um, to the passage then. Let's go to verse 6. I want to dig into this a little bit and just teach um, through it a little bit so you guys understand what's going on here. Verse 6. The disciples are getting all of this kind of teaching input on the kingdom and bless them. They're getting just a little bit confused. So verse 6 reads a little like this. Then they gathered around him and missed the point. Not quite. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what they're asking is, Jesus, are you actually finally going to establish your rule and make Israel, make us, important again? And honestly, I really feel for these guys because nothing has really gone according to plan. They must have just been like, seriously, Jesus, what is going on? Maybe they would have used words slightly more strong than that. I, uh, I had a game plan. I don't know if you've ever had a game plan and it didn't go according to plan. I had a game plan before Christmas. I have two small children. Charlie is three, Grace is one. And uh, the week before Christmas, I wasn't actually down to do much work. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I've got a whole week. We're going to go to the market. We're going to do lovely things. I'm going to get all the presents wrapped. I'm going to get organized. going to get packed. Great. We'll drive down south to be with my family. And then all four of us got a sickness vomiting bug at the same time. It was literally horrendous. Nothing went according to plan. Have you ever been there? You're just like, what is going on? I feel for these disciples. They thought, they still thought, after all this time hanging around Jesus, that what Jesus was going to do was effectively like a Jewish renewal revolutionary movement, kick the Romans out, goodbye Romans, and uh, kind of make Israel nice again. They still kind of maybe thought that, I think. But underneath, I think what they were really asking Jesus is this. Jesus, are you going to do what we want you to do this year? Maybe you've asked God that question. Maybe you wouldn't voice it in that way. But don't we all ask that question sometimes? Are you going to do what I want you to do 
this year. Maybe you have hopes, expectations, dreams for this year, things that you'd like to see happen. God, are you going to do what I want you to do this year? Because I'm not so sure. I don't really know. Things maybe don't seem to be going according to the game plan. And maybe some of us have been holding out so long for God to do something that even to acknowledge some of that brings something of pain to the fore this evening. And Jesus' answer to his disciples is a little bit complex. So let's dig in there for a minute. Here's my best shot. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus is saying, basically, guys, I haven't got a timetable on this. And there's really not much point you speculating about it. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So I haven't got a timetable, but actually what would be really helpful right now is if you would get on with the job at hand, witness to me internationally. The ministry is going international. The job at hand is kind of globally shaped. Witness to me. If we are a kingdom people, then we, church, we are a witnessing people through and through. If you love Jesus, you're a witnessing people. What Jesus was asking his disciples to do, and us today here in this city as we follow him too, is witness to him. Witness to the fact that in his resurrection, Jesus has been made king of the whole world. That's the big picture Witness to him. Witness that in Jesus, God is making all things new. That God has got a plan. And he cares for the world. Witness to him. So, in a way, Jesus in response to the question, are you going to do what I want you to do? Jesus over here is saying, yes, absolutely, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'll restore the kingdom to Israel because I already have. I've already taken Israel upon myself on the cross and I've won. I've taken your sin and your sickness upon myself. I've taken your disappointment and your regret upon myself. And I've won. I get the last word in your life. Yes. Yes, I will. I have. You're mine. And then on the other hand over here, he's saying no. Sorry, no. You're going to have to wait because we still wait a time when my kingship of which I've been appointed and enthroned and I am over all will be visibly and clearly over all. This is a now and a not yet kingdom. And we witness in the middle. We're waiting the time when Jesus will come back in the same way that he left. We don't talk about that very much. I think because it makes us sound uh, slightly crazy. If any of you, did any of you watch Lady in a Van over Christmas? Yeah, and there's that end scene where, okay, spoiler alert, she like ascends to the clouds in some kind of weird ascension scene. I think that is probably the most uh, helpful picture of what's going on here in scripture. Um, (laughs) Jesus ascending into the clouds and and Luke says he's going to come back in the same way that he left. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the time when Jesus will return and he'll make everything right. He'll wipe away every tear from every eye. 
He'll heal all our sicknesses. He'll make all things right on the world. He'll take the now and not yet and he'll strike through not yet. He'll tick it off his to-do list. He'll say, job done. Forever. And so here between the yes and the no of God in Christ, we witness. We witness to him. So, as I bring this plane into land, (laughs) what does that witness really look like? What could it look like for you to witness to Jesus this year as you love him? I've got three suggestions. Celebrate the good. Celebrate the good in people. What would it look like for us to celebrate the good? I kind of think, I have this kind of suspicion that, When people spend time with the church, which is the people, they should leave our presence the most encouraged, the most built up, the most strengthened, the most thinking, actually, I want someone to have a conversation with me and then leave the room thinking, wow, I am a really great human. I am like a really good person. I could do amazing things with my life because I want to speculate that the Spirit of God is alive in me. And as I celebrate the good, God does amazing things. I think the church should be one of the most encouraging people in this city. That if someone wants to hear something good about themselves, they know that they could come to this church and we would tell them. Anyone else up for that? Yeah, I'm up for that. I think that's partly why Teen Challenge, you guys work so well, because guys come to you and they step into a culture of encouragement because you guys are so for each other and you're not afraid to just say, I really love that about you or that's really great the way that you're doing that. That's why, that's why it works. That's why community works because we actually speak out the good that we see. We build each other up. And celebrate the good where you see it outside of the church, because I don't think the church has got kind of like a bounty on this. It's not like we get to keep it all to ourselves. The kingdom is much bigger than the church, right? So celebrate the good where you see it outside the church too. I think the fact that Gorgie City Farm got their funding for last year so they didn't have to close is a major kingdom success in this city. That's great news. That's the kingdom. Celebrate the good where you find it. And as a very wise friend says to me, if you don't find it, keep looking and look a bit harder. Celebrate the good. Model the kingdom. Honest truth. If the kingdom is the place where God is king and the church is the people who really believe that he is, then if people want to see the kingdom, they should be able to come to the church and find it. So model it. (laughs) Model it. The world, I think, increasingly, there's the people who are in and then there are people who are out. And I think in the church, as we model kingdom, we only ever get to say people are in. So that has a massive impact on how we respond to and relate to the poor, the marginalized, the excluded, the difficult, the needy. Every person you walk past is a person that Jesus loves. That's why, that's the work of Streetlights and Becky who came and shared earlier. That's the kingdom. She's modeling the kingdom. Five years sowing into that woman's life five years the kingdom 
And look what Jesus did through them, through others too. I think also um, one of the most amazing things about the church, one of the things I love about this church is our unity across a huge mix of ages, of races, um, of life experiences, of classes. We're together. We're one family. Nowhere else in Edinburgh would you find a group of people like this. That's why we do this together. Because God calls us one, one body, one family. That's why we bother, because we're witnessing to him. And then third, last point, share Jesus. Celebrate the good model, the kingdom, and share Jesus. Get ready to share Jesus, not just in how you live, but actually in your words. Are you ready this year to give a reason for why you love Jesus? Do you have it on the tip of your tongue? Are you ready to share Jesus? Last year, I challenged myself to um, basically anytime anybody said to me that they had something wrong with them, as in they were complaining about something was sore, something ached, some health condition, I said, I made a vow with myself that I had to offer to pray for them. And it was horrendous. I hated it. Uh, I definitely, honest moment here, definitely dodged it a few times. Um, But it led to some interesting scenarios. And what it did was it put me like on a pivot point of having to actually engage with sharing Jesus. Because there's so many times as an introvert that I would just be like, oh, I'll just pray for that person in my head. It's nice. (laughs) Um, but this actually like pivot pointed, pushed me out there. And um, I, one thing I did discover was that the cashiers in Asda really love to tell you about everything that's wrong with them. So I definitely prayed for a few of them last year. Um, are you ready to share Jesus? Are you ready to talk about him and why you love him? And uh, if you're not, ask him for a bit of help. Yeah. Get alongside other people who you see doing it well ask them, how do you actually do that? Like, why are you always having those good conversations? And, and that's what I really love about our missional communities, because that's groups of people saying, we want to love Jesus together, and we want to love people together. It's so much easier sharing Jesus when you're doing it with friends. And it's so much more fun as well. So if you haven't found a missional community yet, then like, do. People in the welcome desk will definitely help you with that. Will come and chat to me afterwards. Missional communities intentionally speculating on their responsibility to share Jesus in their neighbourhoods, with their friends, in their networks, in their colleges, in their universities. We witness to Jesus in every way that we ask this question. Is my dad king? here? Are his values being respected here? Is there love here? Is there peace here? Is there righteousness here? Is there justice here? And if there's not, then church, we've got a job to do. And it's going to be great fun. So with all that said and done, um, We're going to need a little bit of help because I don't know about you, but that feels like a fairly gargantuous task at hand. I'm looking at that and thinking, oh gosh, witness to Jesus internationally. Okay, how are we going to do it? And I think Jesus knew that we would need a little bit of help. So that's why verse eight is in this uh, passage of scripture. You will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Guys, you only get to be plan A as you receive Holy Spirit, as he overflows you and fills you up for the witness that he calls you to. I used to play this game with my brother when I was little. Picture me, sort of age eight, slightly bossy, the eldest of four. Probably won't have any problems picturing that. Um, And uh, the game was rock, paper, scissors. Some of you might know this game. And uh, clever, little clever clogs that I was, I had this special um, tool, which I like to call dynamite. Anyone else with me here? And dynamite wins every time. But funnily enough, I never let my younger brother use dynamite. He always had to use rock, paper, or scissors. So he always lost. And he never really realized. Really sorry, Tom, if you're listening to this on podcast. Um, The reason that I'm telling you that lovely story, dynamite, is because that word power in verse 8 is dynamis in the Greek. It's the actual word from which we get the word dynamite from. Boom. It's explosive. The the Holy Spirit in you is powerful, beyond powerful. It like, it explodes things. The life source of God in you equips you for like the most ridiculously dark and scary places this year. If you're feeling overwhelmed by the year ahead of you, can I encourage you? You have the dynamite power of God in you. In you. That's what you're sent with. Last thing. There was something um, I felt just to pause on here as I prepared. Um, Jerusalem was the place where Holy Spirit was first poured out. And I found that a little bit interesting because Jerusalem was the place where Jesus was rejected. And I felt for a few people specifically that God wanted to encourage you that the places where maybe you've rejected Jesus are looking for fresh witness. So it's almost like Holy Spirit wanted to whisper, have another go. Have another go. So... The Acts of Jesus, part two, brackets, the church gets to play, (laughs) end brackets. Anyone up for that? Yeah? Okay. If you're up for that, I would love to ask you to stand if you're able, and I'm going to pray for us, because we're going to need God's help. What I'd love to do is just pray that ancient prayer of the early church, come Holy Spirit, because, I mean, there's loads of, like, long words that I could use, but actually, without Holy Spirit, this is nothing. Is that all right? So maybe if you want to say, yes, Jesus, I love you. I want to be a witnessing people this year. I want to speculate on my responsibility to share you. I want an adventure then maybe just as a sign that you want to receive from God, you'd maybe just put your hands out in front of you or whatever you do to show God that I'm here, I want to meet with you, I want to receive from you. Um, I find it helpful to put my hands out like that in, in front of me. And I'd love to pray for us.
God, we see from this passage that you call us to go. And uh, you make it pretty clear, actually, that you call us to witness to you. That's the job. To be witnesses to you to the ends of the earth. And as we love you, we want to take that seriously. But God, honestly, it's quite easy to feel a bit overwhelmed by that right now. And uh, so we want to ask for your help. So we pray just really simply, God, come Holy Spirit. Come and breathe on us afresh. Come and fill up every dry and weary, thirsty place in us. Come and fill us with that dynamite power of Holy Spirit that explodes into the places and the people that you would long for your kingdom to come around this year. <laughs>